All right, everybody, welcome to episode five of the Primal Show. As always, we got me, Mike McKnight, and Derek Lytle. Hey guys, doing, what's Derek? going on? I'm doing great. Just 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 the usual. <laughs> just the usual. Looks like you have a jacket and a buff on. So it Dude. must be about 45 degrees where you're at. I think it's like 50, but it's windy, so it's uh, colder. It sounds colder outside, anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh we uh we got about probably six inches of snow last night. So Oh, nice. Dude, my sister yeah. sent me a photo of um the storm the other day and like it's like they got more snow than the height of her kids, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> Where's your sister at again? Up in Heber. Oh yeah, yeah, they got bad up there. Yeah. That was pretty crazy. And like that day I ran shirtless, so it was kind of funny. <laughs> Even though it's oh, cold now, <laughs> I'm kind of getting paid back for it. <laughs> yeah, well, my morning consisted of running, working out, and then shoveling driveways, sidewalks. It's just I'm getting so sick of it, dude. <laughs> dude, you got to move to Arizona. That's what you've been saying. I know. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Um, so thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode last week where Jeff Browning came along and shared a little bit about his journey. I had no idea that he used to be a vegetarian. Did you know that, Derek? Oh, yeah. We've talked about it extensively. Like They used to be like raw vegan, too, him and his wife, kind of when they were trying to figure things out. And then eventually let him here. So it's kind of a cool story because it's not just like, hey, I've been carnivore or whatever my entire life. It's like, no, we learned all this stuff firsthand, which is pretty cool. Well, yeah. And like he wasn't even my standard American his whole life. Standard American diet. He he did vegan. He did vegetarian. He did mm-hmm. um, paleo, like just a whole bunch of different stuff. It's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool because people can yeah. be like, oh, he's always eaten this way. He's always been this way. It's like, no, like him and his family have definitely learned to, to eat this way, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's fun. But this week uh, for the episode, we're going to do a little bit of a uh, more basic type episode. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how Derek and I eat throughout the week based off of how we are training. Uh, before we do that, though, I think it'd be good to talk a little bit about what OFM means. It stands for optimized fat metabolism. Uh, People get what me and Derek and Zach Bitter and Jeff Browning, like people mix up what we do and think that we're mostly keto uh, and we're not, we're, we're OFM. And I think that's a term that a lot of people haven't heard or they might've heard it, but they don't fully understand what it is. Uh, Do you want to explain a little bit, Derek, about what optimized fat metabolism entails? Yeah, essentially you're using keto as a tool. Like a lot of people get stuck in like the, the keto dogma of like, I have to do keto nonstop for the rest of my life, like, which is crazy because it doesn't really even make any sense like historically or or modern day for modern day life. It doesn't really make any sense. So an optimized fat metabolism would use keto as a tool to get into ketosis occasionally, but really it's using fat as fuel, but also carbohydrates when they're needed. So like say you're sprinting or something, you're not using fat. So you need to make sure you can run fast with like your glycogen stores. You're not going to run fast off of fat, like as far as short distances go anyways. And then vice versa, like using fat for longer distances, like plus a hundred miles um, really makes sense. So essentially it's using carbohydrates and fat appropriately instead of just focusing only on a high carb diet or only on a high fat diet. Yeah. And I, I think it's Jeff or maybe it's Zach that uses the term strategic keto. It's like implementing it around specific time periods. Um, The point though of OFM is to train your body to be efficient at burning both fat and glycogen for fuel, not picking one fuel source and excluding the other fuel source. 
it's just making sure your body can efficiently burn both. Um, I mean, the way I describe it to people is it's like you have a car that's like your basic setup of a car, like a Subaru. I don't, I don't, I don't know Subaru cars besides Outback. (laughs) I'm going to change it. I'll go a Ford Mustang. I know Mustangs better, (laughs) but it's basically just like a, a generic Ford Mustang that's equipped with NOS. Like when you're in a, in a Ford Mustang driving down the road, you have your baseline of speed and then you hit that NOS button and it gives you a quick burst of energy or <laughs> quick b- burst of speed because you're in a car. <laughs> um, but then once you go through that NOS, you just go right back into your baseline of speed, whatever that may be. And so that's kind of what OFM is. You're teaching your body to be better um, at burning fat for fuel. You're still going to take carbs, as Derek said. But when you do take those carbs, it basically gives you more of a burst because it has a better effect on you. And then once you go through that, you just kind of go right back into fat burning and you have a nice consistent baseline of energy to get you through the rest of the race. Um, that's the way I usually explain it to people. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And it's like, cause your body is clearly going to use fat for certain circumstances for fuel and other times carbohydrates, cause they both make sense. And I, I hate it when people get so roped into like, you can only use fat or only use carbs. It's like, no, like they're both important. It's like, why wouldn't you want to be able to use both of those, um, those macros? Yeah, exactly. I mean, just like the car thing that I was just describing, like you obviously have more of an edge if you have a car equipped with NOS, <laughs> like there's no argument about it. You can go faster if you have NOS. And so obviously you can do ultra marathons fully keto. I know a lot of keto ultra marathon runners. I know a lot of carnivore ultra marathon runners, but And if they're listening to this, I hope they know that I'm just saying this with care. (laughs) I'm not picking apart anything, but if you do implement some strategic carbs, like it's going to benefit you and help you go faster. There's no way around it. Um, I think you just got to figure out if you want to be fully keto, fully carnivore, and just cool with like having a nice consistent baseline of energy, or if you want to start in taking some carbs and, and be dual, a dual fuel burner. (laughs) Yeah, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because sometimes you only have certain resources available or not to get too far like off topic, but remember on, when you're doing the Arizona trail and you're between the Grand Canyon and Flagstaff, like you literally did like a 50K on what one gel because you had yeah. no calories <laughs> on you. So it's like clearly your body's burning through those carbs really fast. And then you were able to rely on your fat stores to get through that and then go another like 450 miles or whatever it was at that point. So like, so it's pretty cool to be able to rotate between the two and it's not going to be a deal breaker. Cause I know for a lot of people, if they go a couple hours without carbohydrates, they're just a complete mess and they can't function or, or even much less go another marathon or something. Right. And in that example you just gave, like, yeah, I only had one gel for, it was, it was basically a 50 K. Um, and I had nothing else. Like I wasn't eating jerky. I wasn't eating nuts. I wasn't eating any kind of fat. It was just like one gel. Basically what happened was, uh, for the for the listeners, <clears throat> my crew was supposed to meet me seven miles. That was the next like distance that I had to go before I saw my crew again. And so I left with like one gel, a couple bottles of water, expecting to see them in an hour. But the roads were just so muddy and awful and my crew couldn't get to that spot. And so I didn't end up seeing them for an additional 26 to 28 miles further than what we planned. And so, yeah, I had to go a full seven to eight hours out there by myself, only eating one gel. And that is the nice thing about being fat adapted is, you know, go rewind five years ago when I wasn't fat adapted. If I was in that situation, I don't know what would have happened because I, 
I needed all the carbs. I needed all the sugar. I crashed a lot whenever I wasn't properly fueling. So it's just, it's really nice to get your body to a point where if you are in that situation, you can rely on your fat stores and still have a, a pretty decent amount of energy to carry you until you can get some food in you. Yeah. And like that specific situation, like obviously it wasn't ideal to go like right. that distance <laughs> without any food, especially when you're doing something like of that distance. But like, it's cool that you're able to get through that and continue to carry on and not just be like a total mess for a day or something and just bonked super hard. Because when you bonk, like your recovery time goes up like crazy. I've bonked before in events and it's like, cool. Like I'm just wrecked for the next week or something. You just feel like garbage. <laughs> yeah. That's not a good feeling. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but uh, so, OFM. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, so OFM, there's typically three phases that you go through. And I figured I'd just give a quick Reader's Digest version of what those three phases are. Uh, but basically, you do a strict keto reset for about four to eight weeks. And the reason it's four to eight weeks, it just varies on how good you are at burning fat for fuel. Me personally, it took a little bit longer. I was about eight to 10 weeks. But most of the people I coach usually sits in that four to six week range. And so you basically eat 30 to 50 grams of carbohydrates a day, no matter how much you're working out. And you're getting primarily those carbs from dark green vegetables. So like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, some arugula, uh, occasional berries, if you'd like. But most of it's going to be coming from vegetables and low glycemic index fruits. Uh, you do that, get your body used to being in ketosis consistently. And then you go to the next phase, which is phase two. And that's where you start reintroducing some carbs into your day. Um, if I was to give it a gram range, I would say you're getting about 70 to 100 grams of carbs a day with most of those carbs coming immediately before or after your workout and during your workout. And so this phase um, is very critical because going back to what we were saying a few minutes ago, we're trying to teach our body to be efficient at burning fat for fuel and glucose. And so phase two is good because you're taking carbs in during your runs, you're eating gels, you're eating fruits, you're taking in tailwind or gnarly or whatever it is you prefer. And then when you finish that run, you're going back, you might have a big bowl of fruit, but then you're going to go the rest of the day doing essentially strict keto again. And so what that does is it teaches your body to go back and forth. You take the carbs in while you're running, you burn those carbs for fuel. And then for the next 20 to 22 hours, when you're not working out, you're going right back into fat burning. So you're teaching the body to be efficient at switching. Then phase three, you want to explain what, explain what phase three is, Derek? I would just consider phase three an animal-based diet, but are yeah. we on the same page here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Um, in terms of like grams though, you're probably getting around 150 grams a day. Um, just averaging out, like, obviously it's going to fluctuate based off of how much you're training, but you know, I'm typically getting about 150 to 170 grams on like my higher volume days. Yeah, it definitely varies. Um, cause I don't know, situationally dependent, but I'd probably say I do like 200, honestly, um, on like a high volume day. And it depends if I'm like going to the gym too, or long run that day or something or back to back long run days. Mm -hmm. Um, so it obviously varies, but, um, yeah, I don't, honestly don't really count the carbs though when I'm like when I'm eating this way just kind of eat like whatever sounds good so just prioritize protein and then fill in the carbs with the rest and I don't know I, I don't really yeah. count macros I guess unless I'm doing like <laughs> strict keto for some reason like a reset yeah and that's usually what I advise people I coach to like usually yeah. so for the first like four to I would say for the first two phases it's beneficial to track your macros 
Because I'd say the biggest thing people see when they eat this way <clears throat> is how easy it is to get that, am- that amount of carbs. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, you know, if you eat cashews, like two servings of cashews, that's about 15 grams of carbs. Um, like there's, there's carbs essentially in everything and it adds up pretty quick, especially because the portion sizes are significantly smaller than what we realize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a, a serving of ice cream or something is like, it's not a massive bowl of ice cream. It's like, like this big. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy on paper. It's like, Oh, there's only 20 grams of sugars, but yeah, that's in a spoonful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so first two phases, uh, it's, I, I think it was beneficial to track your macros for the first two phases just to see. Um, I usually recommend the people I coach to use something called Carb Manager. Uh, there are other ones like my Fitness Pal, but Carb Manager is nice. It's free. It, like all the users who use it can input in um, like what they eat in terms of like the actual pack. Like if you went to National Grocers and bought a eight ounce piece of beef, like the Thousand Hills brand or whatever, like that person can put that into Carb Manager. And then for future users, they just have to take their phone and scan the barcode and then it automatically uploads it. And you just have to like put in the the amount that you ate. And so it, it is beneficial to track it, but you do get to a point where like, you know, I've been doing this for almost six years. Like I have a pretty good understanding how much two glasses of milk is going to give me and how much a serving of blueberries is going to give me. But yeah, you definitely don't need to track it all the time once you get to a place of, of consistency. Yeah, I, that's funny because like I, I haven't tracked stuff in a long time, but then last week after talking to Jeff about it, um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to track a few days just to see like, to see what I'm eating, just out of curiosity. And it was interesting because it's like one day I just felt really tired, one day I didn't, and the next day I felt fine again. But it was just interesting to see like the days where I prioritize protein, like especially the day before, how much better I feel the next day versus like there's sometimes days like where I travel for example and I'm just like oh my gosh I got to eat food so it's like just eat smoothies or something because that's really the only like mm-hmm. it's like the best option there is like at a gas station or something and like man I feel like I've eaten so much today and really it's just a bunch of fruit and which is fine to a certain extent and really it's like man I should have had way more protein that day but it's like what am I going to eat like I don't know slim gyms at a gas station or something it's like really I should just plan better <laughs> is what it comes down to like meal planning and stuff but but yeah, it is. Yeah. It's fun to track, but I, like like you're saying, though, like in the end, like it's not the end of the world, and you kind of just get to know, like, okay, like four eggs is about this much protein. You don't really do the math in your head, but I think you kind of just kind of like know essentially what you're eating. Like your body's telling you intuitively, and it just kind of works out. Because like nobody in the past was like tracking their macros, right? Like like right. five thousand years ago, <laughs> no one's like, oh, I can only have twelve more carbs today or something. Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think that's a good point you just brought up too. Like your body will let you know. Um... And I think we'll discuss that a little bit more as we go through like what our day looks like. But basically that's what OFM looks like. You have the three phases and you're in the third phase for, you know, your whole life. If this is what you want to, if this is how you want to eat until you die, basically, Uh, you're going to be fluctuating from a strict keto phase all the way up to 150 to 200 grams of carbs. If you're doing a lot of training and then just some variables will determine if you're going to be a little bit more in the middle as well. And so, yeah, as as Derek and I share what our week looks like, you should hopefully be able to see some trends um, between all three phases. But, uh, oh, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just getting ready to start diving right into it, but did you have something you wanted to add to that? Yeah, really, um, just real quick, I just wanted to say that 
we were we decided to do this show about what we eat like in a kind of average or kind of hypothetical training week because somebody commented and they were just curious about it so it's like we're just taking the comments and building shows off of that sometimes so like if people have like a question about something like just drop a comment and then we'll either address it or maybe even do a full episode about it because i don't know it's like things are interesting people are interested in certain things and we want to cover those topics yeah for sure yeah the the show Derek and I can think of stuff for the future, but like, it makes it a lot better if you guys give us stuff that you want to learn about. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, as we jump into this though, Mike, like I have a few things that I are not necessarily like something I, well, they are something I do daily, but it's just kind of like general rules, no matter what day it is. Do you have any of those? Like, like, for example, when I wake up, I always have a bottle of electrolyte drink. Do you have rules like that essentially for every day that you do? No. <laughs> oh, you don't? <laughs> no. Oh, no, that's it varies based on what I'm doing for the day. <laughs> okay. Cause like, I definitely have like just, they're not like, I don't know. They're just like kind of base rules. I have not rules is a very strong term, but base things that I do. Like when, as soon as I wake up, I have a bottle of electrolyte drink. Cause this is shown to be helpful um, mm-hmm. as far as waking up and just rehydrating. And then I don't have any caffeine for at least an hour before I wake up. So like ideally it's an hour and a half or more, but, and that's just, I don't know. It's just, it's proven to like help you um, wake up better essentially. Um, and then I don't do any caffeine after 2 PM. And then, um, I started taking creatine just yesterday, actually. So I, Oh, nice. I'm be doing that after workouts because supposedly that's the best time to take it. And I'm just kind of curious about it. It's pretty cheap and I don't, I've never really taken huge amounts of it before. So I started doing like the five grams a day, which I think is pretty base and we'll see what happens. Like, I don't know. I've heard a lot of pros for it. So it's like, why not give it a shot? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I started experimenting with it sometime i guess last year now now that's 2023 yeah. <laughs> um yeah i mean the two things that i've noticed with creatine that i like uh one of them is like i feel like i recover faster mm-hmm. for, uh, from ever since i've started taking it and then this is just kind of a a vain thing but <laughs> i i have noticed that like i have toned out quite a bit more since i've started taking it uh which is you know obviously i like that <laughs> um <laughs> But I'd say one thing to watch out for is that uh, creatine can be hard on your kidneys. And so you just need to be careful and make sure for, for those who are thinking of supplementing creatine, you just, I, I think I mentioned this on another episode, but you just want to make sure that you increase your water and electrolytes so that your kidneys don't get shot basically. But it's, it's very beneficial that, that doctor that we keep referring to, he's a big fan of it for sure. Yeah. And it's pretty cheap. Like the, the tub that I got at Sprouts was like, a hundred servings for under $30. So it's like, yeah, I don't know, a few cents a day, like a quarter a day or something. So it's a pretty cheap supplement with like a lot of proven results. So I think it's, and it's unflavored. So you can take it with anything. Yeah. I just mix it into like, like a post run, whatever. And it's great. Yeah. For the it one or two days. I've it, awesome. so. Yeah. Keep it up. Let us know what you think of it as you consistently take it for a few weeks. Um, I would say going off of what you were saying that I do have probably two or three like typical trends in terms of like what I do each day when I wake up. Uh, I would say those three different things are one is I just, I fast just because I I do like strategically implementing fasted training into my schedule, which I know a lot of nutritionists are very, very against. (laughs) Um, I used to do it all the time, but 
something that I've noticed, and I think we can talk about this later on in the episode, but you know, if you're too chronically low carb, if you're too chronically, uh, like zero calorie fasting or whatever you do run the risk of like reversing what your body can do in terms of burning, uh, like the fuel sources that your body can burn. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I mean, we might as well talk about it right now while I'm talking about it and just get it out of the way. <laughs> but uh, have, have you ever done one of those metabolic tests before where you like go into a, a clinic and they hook you up to a treadmill and you do like the VO2 max test and stuff like that? No, I never have. Never have? Okay. So I did, I did that two years ago, maybe. Um, it's, it's really interesting. So so if you do, when you do these tests, they print out all these results and there's a bunch of graphs and charts. One of the things that they measure is like how efficiently you can burn fat for fuel. Uh, well, I, I guess I wouldn't say that's what they're measuring, but that is what you get to see out of it. Basically everybody has a crossover point where the faster you're running and the higher your heart rate goes, the graph shows like when you start out at a slower pace, you're burning primarily, primarily fat for fuel. But then as you increase the speed, as you increase your, your heart rate, you'll start to see, this other line start to grow and that's how much glucose you're burning. And eventually once your heart rate and your pace gets high enough, there is a crossover point where you start to primarily burn glucose and not really any fat at all. And so when I did that test, I had to tap out before I ever reached my crossover point. I don't know. Did I ever tell you that, Derek? No, you've never mentioned that before. <laughs> yeah. So the clinic, like when I did that, they were just all like, holy cow, we've never seen this before. This is awesome. And in my head, I'm just like, well, what does that mean? So I went home and did a bunch of research. And basically, like, I started this approach because I wanted to teach my body to be better at burning fat for fuel. And as we were saying earlier, like you want your body to go back and forth between fat and glucose. But I was so chronically low carb for my first four years that I basically like didn't, I, I wasn't as efficient at burning glucose as I wanted to be is what I took from that. And so that, that wasn't a good thing in my mind, even though the clinicians loved it, it was kind of <laughs> wild. <laughs> well, that's super interesting. I can't believe you never told me that before. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I'll have to find the graph sometime to show you, but um, I don't know why I brought that up. What were we talking about? <laughs> we we're talking about fasting, like starting your day fast. Oh, got it. Stuff. Yeah. And um. Honestly, I, I mean, talk about it more, I guess, like when we go through day by day, but there are some days where I do that and other days you don't. And like, there's been a lot of data and a lot of research showing that like just chronically fasting, like people just fast all the time, like end up having like hormonal issues and that sort of thing. You right. can survive like intermittent fasting and like one meal a day or even like some extended fast. But like at a certain point, there's like, th there's no like positive rate of return on your investment. It's kind of a negative. And so you really need to listen to your body and know like what's going on because it can be beneficial just like most things can be, but they can also be very terrible for you. So it's like, let's, yeah. let's be smart about it, I guess. <laughs> the biggest thing I saw when I did that zero calorie at, um, across the years, and mm -hmm. I think we talked about this on your podcast where you had me and Jeff on, but uh, the biggest thing that I saw was the, so, so when I did the zero calorie 100, I like did a couple lab tests before and after and I mean, obviously I need to do another lab test to see how much of this was fasting related versus running an ultra marathon related, but my cortisol levels were through the roof. And there are studies that show if you chronically fast, then you do have elevated cortisol levels and in turn, you're stressed out. 
which impacts your sleep, which impacts your recovery. And that's not a good thing. So just like with everything in life, we need to have a balance. Fasting is good. Fasting is beneficial, but you don't want to do it every day for the whole year. Like you want to strategically place it into your routine. Yeah. Cause like personally, like I, I love fasting. Like I always feel really good and just kind of like, okay, well, partly cause you have more time to do things. I'm like, I just wake up and don't have to make breakfast. Don't have to make lunch. Like you just kind of go through the day and it's awesome. You feel like you just have extra hours in the day. Um, but it can be an issue though. Cause like for me personally, cause if I just, if I don't eat for 16 hours and it's hard for me to cram in all the food that I need in that shorter eating window. And so like, if I'm going to be on like, well, obviously not in a long run day, but hypothetically, if I were to fast on a long run day, I would probably be under fueled. And so that's just not a good time to fast in my opinion. And everybody's a little bit different. Like, so people can handle more food in, in one setting or multiple settings throughout the day. But like, you kind of just got to make sure if you are fasting that you're also getting like all your macros and your nutrients in, because otherwise you start like this downhill spiral of just of weakness and tiredness because you're under fueled. And like, that's a legit concern that a lot of um, nutritionists talk about. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yep. You covered it. That was good. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so some mornings I fast, some mornings I'll take like a couple tablespoons of honey. Uh, like if I have a speed session that day and then some days I'll take like a pre-workout with some electrolytes. Uh, those are usually the three trends that I notice throughout my week when I first wake up, uh, to answer your question. Cool. There's a couple other things I do, like just hard rules for me. It's like no alcohol and then (laughs) artificial sweeteners are just kind of like, okay, like these are probably pretty bad. But like something's mm-hmm. happening, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to like lose my mind about it, but I try to avoid them for the most part. Yeah. Is there specific ones you try to avoid? Um, definitely sucralose. Um, I yeah. think that's an aspartame and all these kind of like diet things. I never liked them anyways, but I just avoid them because there are a lot of data showing how uh, negative they are to your health. Um, and some mm-hmm. of the other ones like stevia and monk fruit, there's data or there are data both ways showing like positives and negatives. So like at this point, it's more of just like preemptive because who knows, maybe they'll be fine to your body. I don't know. I'm not an expert on this by any means, but like, I just feel like, okay, if we're going to try to fake sugar with something, it's probably not the greatest. And this is, I don't know, personal thing, but I just generally yeah. feel better. And then I don't feel like I want to eat more sweets either because I'm not kind of like supplementing or or artificially supplementing my sugar addiction with fake sugar. <laughs> so it's exactly. better, in my opinion, it's better to avoid it in general. Yeah, I, I definitely avoid sucralose and aspartame like you do, but stevia, monk fruit, erythritol, I I haven't seen a negative effect in my body with those. Yeah. Uh, my BCAAs has stevia in it. <clears throat> my protein shake has stevia in it. But I definitely know when I take something with sucralose in it because I start getting that girly stomach and mm-hmm. my GI functionality is all messed up like <laughs> yeah your body will let you know if it doesn't like what it is that you're eating in terms of in terms of anything honestly <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah but anyway um, let's dive into this we've rambled a lot <laughs> yeah let's go through the week um should we yeah, start with yeah. what we do on like a, a hypothetical week on on a monday for example yeah you want to start yeah so um Generally, my my weekends kind of dictate what I'm doing on Monday. So generally, I'll do like a long run on a Saturday or maybe do like a, a long run Saturday, long run Sunday type thing. So Mondays mm-hmm. are almost always like an easy run day, like six to eight miles, um, depending on how I feel. And then um, kind of like a recovery session. So pulling up my notes here. So like what I would do on that is like, obviously, like I mentioned, I have electrolytes and I wake up and then coffee or caffeine like an hour or so after I wake up um, and I don't know if you want to look into more, more into that. Um, Huberman lab has a good episode about caffeine. That's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. 
But since it's going to be an easy run, I don't feel like I need a lot of carbohydrates for that because I could either do that fasted because um, it's only like six to eight easy miles, which is like very, very low intensity. So I'm not really burning carbohydrates at that point or glycogen. So generally what I'll do is either just black coffee or bulletproof coffee. So having the butter and the MCT oil in there. Um, and then I know you're going to think this is disgusting because we've talked about it before, but I do like sardines and avocado. So if mm. I am going to do that, it just sits well <laughs> in my stomach. And it doesn't give me negative side effects. Um, or I'll do eggs. So I'll have a couple of eggs before I go out. Um, this is kind of painful. Sorry, this is this is before your run? Yeah, like a couple hours before. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. And so like, it depends on how I'm feeling though. Because it's not like I'm going to eat like a massive breakfast or something. Or sometimes I'll just have nothing. But if I'm hungry, I'm not going to force myself, especially after a long run the day before or a long weekend, to fast. Because I feel like if I'm hungry, I do need those that food. So I'm going right. to eat. But, but if I'm not, like I... Some girls wake up and just go and I have no issues just going on, like not necessarily fasted, but just not eating the breakfast beforehand and I feel fine. Got it. Yeah. What about you? Uh, Mondays. So I guess right now is kind of weird because I'm doing a lot of cross training and doing a lot more weightlifting. So mm -hmm. I think what I'll do is just do like a hypothetical week for me in the middle of the summer when I'm doing just mostly running. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so Monday, so in the summer is usually Monday. I, I still strength train two days a week uh, throughout the summer when I'm doing high volume in terms of running. Mm -hmm. And usually Monday is the day that I do that. And so just like you, I usually reserve Mondays for super easy runs. Uh, mileage wise, it could be anywhere from five to 12 miles, uh, depending on how much vert I'm doing or depending on how close I am to my race, how far away I am from my past race. But uh, Mondays, usually I'll still throw in some higher mileage, uh, but it will be super easy. And then I usually immediately following my run, I'll come and do it's, it's called, uh, it's like a Tabata style type workout. Have you ever used like a Tabata timer before? No, I, honestly, I hear about it all the time and I've never once looked it up. I just kind of <laughs> laugh at the word and keep moving. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't know what it is to be honest. <laughs> So it's super easy. Like anybody who is interested, you could just go to the app store or the play store, depending on what phone you have and just Google or not Google, but just look, look up Tabata timer. And basically what it does is you input how many sets you want to do, how many reps you want to do, uh, how long you want each rep to be, and then uh, how long of a break you want. So basically the way I do it, is I usually do a routine that's three sets. That, so something I do three times and each set usually has seven cycles. So seven different workouts. Um, the ones I usually do are full body type workouts. So like dumbbell squat with a shoulder press, dumbbell wide squat with a front fly into a shoulder press, but you do seven different things and then you repeat it three times. And then um, for me, I have it set to 45 seconds on and 15 seconds transition. So you don't really have a lot of time. So it's kind of like a hit style workout and the clock just counts down and it changes colors based on if you're working out or resting. So I usually do a Tabata workout after my, my run and it usually is 21 minutes. And then I'll also do an ab routine, which is about 15 minutes. And so even though the intensity on my Monday run is, is lower, I'll still have a significant, uh, for me, a significant amount of carbs that day, since I am also strength training and doing like a high intensity type workout. So I'll usually wake up those mornings and, you know, I'll do that run fasted since I'm not doing any speed. 
And then when I get home, I'll I'll just go right into the workout without eating anything else. Uh, so I'm still fasted at that point. The following the strength and the ab routine, that's when I'll usually have like my, my breakfast never changes. So this is Monday <laughs> through Sunday, basically. <laughs> um, I usually have anywhere from four to seven eggs uh, cooked in some Kerrygold butter. Uh, I'll usually sprinkle some goat cheese on top of it and maybe a little bit of guacamole. Um, and then I'll also do a couple ounces of liver. And then the thing that might change throughout the week is the size of the bowl that I get for this next portion. <laughs> but I'll usually end that meal with a, a bowl of fruit and raw honey and a little bit of heavy cream. And so, you know, a typical Monday usually would just be like a bowl of blackberries, blueberries, strawberries with cream and honey. Um, and then after that, uh, I usually don't eat until dinner. So I usually just do two meals a day. And then dinner that night is usually some kind of beef and fruit again, and then call it good that night. <laughs> it's essentially, um, as far as like post-workout, like what I would do, um, like for lunch, whatever, whenever I finish my run, as soon as I'm hungry, sometimes I finish a run and I'm just not hungry. Um, especially on like easier days, but I'll do like meat and eggs and maybe I'll throw in some liver or something. Then I, I always just crave raw milk as well. So like almost every meal I have raw milk now and nice. like, I, I just love it. Like, it's just so good. Like, on runs, I'll crave it, like whether it's hot or cold, not the milk, but the temperatures outside. And, <laughs> and I always really enjoy it. Um, but then like my dinner is kind of the same thing too on a Monday where it's like I'll have meat and then I'll have berries and like some honey and milk. And I don't know, that's basically it. Like it's pretty simple, honestly. Like it's not like this is going to change too much throughout the week, at least for me. Yeah. I mean, I would say the biggest thing for me, and like, honestly, <laughs> this episode might be kind of short for me, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really the only thing that's going to change for me, like I, I really eat almost the same thing every day. Uh, a few small things might change, but I'd say the biggest thing that changed is for me based off of whether I have a longer in the next day or whether I have a speed workout or whatever <clears throat> is how much fruit I'm going to eat. And then also what kind of fruit I'm going to eat. If it's like a lower intensity day, like the Monday that I just described to you, then it's probably going to be a bowl of berries because those are low glycemic. I don't really necessarily care for any kind of spike. I just want to maybe have a little bit of carbs to help me feel like a little bit more energized that day. Whereas if it's a speed day, I might have like an orange or a mango or something like that. Yeah. I think that's kind of like the basis, right? Is like on low intensity days, you focus more on fat and protein. Whereas on like a, a higher uh, workout day, like a bigger load volume and or intensity, um, a little more carbohydrates, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm curious to know. So, so we're on Monday right now. Mm -hmm. You just had dinner. Do you usually try to wrap up like your last, the last food that goes in your mouth? Is there a certain time that you try to wrap that up by each night? Yeah. So night? Yeah. Cause generally I try to go to bed by 10, like 10 to six is usually when I sleep. Uh -huh. Um, I just, whatever that works for me, at least when I'm not traveling or working or something. So like generally my last meal is like seven ish. Um, that kind of depends. Cause, um, what I didn't mention yet is in between, or I guess right before dinner, I'll go to the gym, um, or do like an easy bike ride. And usually on a Monday, since it's like low intensity day, just go for an easy bike ride or a walk or something. And it's probably just cause I get bored just sitting at home working. Um, <laughs> but also like, it's just good just to, just to get out. And there's a lot of like health benefits to that. Um, but what was your question again? Just spaced it. 
<laughs> when you usually if you try to stop eating by a certain time oh yeah generally like seven ish um but definitely depends on like when i'm going to bed so like usually in the winter i try to go to bed a little earlier whereas like in the summers i'm usually up a little later um but a couple hours prior um, is generally best for me do you usually try to end with a meal or do you snack <laughs> snack at night uh, i generally don't snack at night um i used to be a big snacker and um, when I focus on my protein and fat, I generally don't have much of a, of a desire to. Um, but mm -hmm. if I do end up wanting something, like if I am hungry, generally just like fruit, like something mellow and easy. Um, or sometimes when I'm feeling like a part of a keto brick or something, um, yeah. I, I just like them, like they're good. And they are really filling too. So like just like a chunk of a keto brick could be just all that I need um, for that night. Gotcha. Or maybe some milk because I like milk. Milk's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I do think too, before we move to the next, what the next day looks like, I think it would be helpful to share maybe, and maybe you don't have an answer for this, but I'm still going to ask it. And if not, then I can share my answer. But, you know, right now, Derek and I tend to eat very similarly and we don't really mix it up a lot each day. But back when I started this approach, like variety is something that I really needed. I if I had to eat beef and eggs every day, then I would have lost my mind. <laughs> um, and I think I mentioned this on another podcast, but there was a point where like I couldn't eat eggs anymore because I just overdid it when I first started this. And so I, I definitely like looked up <clears throat> a lot of ways to add variety into my meals and not just eating beef. So I'm curious to know if you have a favorite dinner at night that's not just beef and vegetables. If there's some kind of way that you've you've spiced up your meal at night to still stay low carb still stay animal based but it's not just meat <laughs> no <laughs> no okay i, I think I'm a, because you I, don't like to cook right yeah i like i hate cooking i hate complexity with most things so it's like i just like to make it simple so like yeah steak and whatever at night and i'm happy with that and i usually don't get bored of that and okay I don't know. I know a lot of people like variety, but to me, I'm just like, oh, I'd rather spend like all this time cooking, doing something that's in my eyes more beneficial to my life. Like I don't get a lot of enjoyment or value out of cooking and especially not out of cleaning dishes. So to <laughs> me, just to like have a steak, put some salt on it and then berries and whatever, and then done for the day. And then I can go do other things that to me, I value more. Yeah. That's perfect. It's like a perfect dinner for me. And you were that way since you like from the beginning? Well, so when I first started like caring more about my health and diet and stuff, like I did keto and everything. Right. And right. so like you look up keto recipes on like YouTube and you're just inundated with like, oh, keto cheesecake and keto casseroles and whatever, <laughs> all this crap. And so like, I was always like, man, I got to buy all like almond flour and coconut flour and all these things. I spent, yeah. like, I luckily had a very flexible job at the time, but I spent like hours every day cooking and like doing things. I'm like, this is a huge time suck. Like I'd much rather yeah. be focusing on like building a side business or running or going to the gym than just like cooking things that are like mediocre at best. Whereas like a <laughs> steak is always good. Like you cook it like even just kind of okay. And it's a great steak. So yeah. like, why would I want to like diverge from that? I guess like, at least in my opinion, I'm very practical, I guess. <laughs> You're better than me, dude. I was looking for so many ways to spice it up when I started. Really? Um, Yeah. I'd say one of my favorite things, and it's actually really easy to cook. Like it only takes about 30 minutes, but have you ever heard of like the trick chicken crust pizza? I think you've showed me that before, but I've never had it. Oh, dude, it's it so good. good. <laughs> 
Yeah, like all you do is you just buy ground chicken and fry it up. And then you add it to a bowl and you get a cup of Parmesan cheese and two eggs, mix it all together. And then you spread that out on a piece of parchment paper and that's your crust. Like that's literally it. Ground chicken, two eggs, Parmesan cheese. Spread it into a crust, bake it for 10 minutes, pull it out. I would add like a Primal Kitchen white sauce. They have a Primal Kitchen has a, um, like it's a white pizza sauce. Mm-hmm. No seed oils or anything nasty in it. So I'll use that white sauce and then I'll add like the bacon, the sausage, the cheese, um, bake it for another 10 minutes and then it's done. It's good to go. And it tastes like, I fed it to my son, who's like one of the pickiest eaters I've ever met. And he he just thought it was pizza. Like it tastes just like pizza. And it doesn't have all the crap in it. So for those who are listening, if you're looking for a way to spice it up a little bit, just look up chicken crust pizza. It's amazing. <laughs> like That's something that I would take like to a party or something. So maybe like once a year I would make that. <laughs> then I would get so frustrated with how long it takes to cook. I'd be like, I'll just have chicken and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> 30 minutes. It's not that long, dude. It's really not. But like in my head, it's just like another thing to think about. And like, oh, there's so many other things I could spend mental energy on instead of having to make something. I don't know. Yeah. Teach their own. Like, I definitely don't like fault you for that because it sounds crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't really do it anymore. Like, I'm the same way now. It's like throwing a roast the night before, or throwing a steak on the grill and call it good. Like, yeah. like uh, in reality, like it, co- it takes more time for me to cook a steak, like especially if I use my smoker. Uh-huh. But it's just like, it's only one step. Take or I guess two steps, three steps. <laughs> take it out of the package, put it on the Traeger, take it off, and you're you're done. <laughs> yeah, it's versus like the whole. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the next day. Uh, what do Tuesdays usually look like for you? So generally, Tuesday is a workout day, so I'll do some sort of tempo run or some intervals or something. Um, generally, it's at least ten miles, um, if not more. Um, so I try to do a little more carbohydrates that morning before I run. Um, just cause like it's necessary to just have any sort of like productive, um, speed workout in my opinion, anyways, mm-hmm. like I'm not a coach, but you could probably talk more about that than me. Um, <laughs> but I still follow the same routine in the morning where I'll wake up and I'll have electrolytes, get a few things done, have some coffee or whatever, um, before my workout. So wait at least an hour for that caffeine. And as far as like a carb source, um, honey and fruit, uh, maybe like a banana or two, um, mangoes have been on sale recently so i've been kind of digging the mangoes and like i love mangoes so i might have a couple of those or something maybe some honey um and then some sort of like i don't know not say a pre-workout drink but just some electrolyte drink before i go out and run and then if it is like a longer like higher intensity workout um i'll have a bottle of like tailwind or i've been using fluid recently which i really like and then make sure i have an appropriate amount of sodium in there cool what uh what a so Tailwind is your electrolyte drink, or is there something else that you use? Uh, there's one called Fluid that I like. Um, I've been using Fluid. that okay. for like maybe six months or so. No longer, actually. Um, but I used to use Tailwind a lot in the past. And I actually just bought um, a single serving of Tailwind yesterday. And I'm going to try to do a workout with it and just see how I feel because I haven't used it for so long. And I was just kind of comparing um, like the mineral content of Tailwind versus Fluid. And Tailwind already has a lot of sodium in it compared to Fluid. Like Fluid has 240 milligrams, I think. And Tailwind's like almost 700. And I always add salt to my Fluid mix. So I was like, well, if Tailwind already has it, I could just try that. Yeah. Um, but I haven't used it in years, so I might love it. I might hate it again or love it again or hate it. Who knows? But um. But yeah. 
Have you ever experimented with Relight? Just for the electrolyte drink, but they don't have like a carb-based drink, right? No, they don't. Yeah. So I guess in in the morning, like when you say you take an electrolyte drink when you wake up in the morning, is it usually fluid or? No, because fluid is like a drink mix for running. It's actual like carb-based drink. It's like okay, so like fructose and whatever. So when I do electrolytes in the morning, I do the Redmond on Relight. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, um, got it. And I've been trying to do just like the um the plain version. And like, I used to hate it oh. and now I, now I like it, honestly. And like, I have a little bit of lemon to it and it's really good, but, um, the flavored ones are pretty good too. Uh, I love the flavored ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The mango and the pina colada are my two favorites. Oh, I hate the pina colada, but the mango is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. For, for those who haven't tried it, check out Redmond Relight. Uh, we, we talked about Redmond two episodes ago when we were talking about what an animal based diet actually is. Uh, Redmond is the group that makes the that mines the salt uh, straight here out of Utah, but they also do have an electrolyte mix which has their real salt in it. Also has magnesium, potassium, calcium, and a couple of other things that I can't remember. But it's just it's just basically straight electrolytes with a little bit of stevia, just to add a little bit of sweetness to it. But like when you drink it, you can mostly taste the salt. Like it's. It's not sweet at all. Granted, the more sugar you cut out and the more you use this stuff, the more sweet it starts to taste. I don't know if you've noticed that before or not. Yeah, 100%. Like when I first started drinking, I'm like, ah, oh, this stuff's kind of okay. But then, yeah, like now it tastes really sweet to me. Yeah. And it's just funny because I don't know. It's just funny how your body changes and how things taste better or different, I should say. Yeah. Like if you had, like once, like a, a salty, what once a salty electrolyte mix tastes sweet to you, like if you have something that has a lot of sugar in it, like it's like it hurts your stomach almost because it's just way too sweet. It's mm-hmm. it just tastes fake and awful. <laughs> yeah, it's disgusting. And even then, to like kind of to further that point, like ditching like say gummy candy and eating more real fruit or just eating real fruit as far as like a sweet source. Like you go back to eating candy, like this is disgusting. You just want like you want mangoes, you want cherries, you want real fruit again oh yeah and then just going back to like the first or second episode the reason is because our body's craving the nutrients that's in it it's sweet Mm -hmm. and it's nutritious like it's a win-win honestly yeah it's like no wonder your body craves that yeah (laughs) uh for me though for tuesdays it's usually a speed day for me too uh and again that could vary week by week but usually for me whenever i do a speed day i usually do slightly less mileage Uh, i call them quality days And so, whereas like Monday, I might go for an hour and a half run and just chill Tuesday, um, instead of doing an hour and a half, I might do like 45 minutes to an hour and then just do some kind of tempo thing. Fart licks. Um, there's this workout I do, it's called 30, 30. It's where you run at tempo pace for 30 seconds, then easy run for 30 seconds and repeat six to eight times. Um, but yeah, so usually Tuesday is a speed session for me with a little bit less mileage, because of that though, I generally keep, to be honest, like my carb count throughout the week when I'm doing high training, generally every day, except for my day off, it's 150 to 170 grams of carbs. So even though the volume on Tuesday is slightly lower because it is speed focused and I have typed into that glycogen more than I did on like a 10 mile easy run on Monday, I still prioritize carbs, uh, within the first four to six hours after that workout. And so I usually will though, before I go out, I'll take a tablespoon or two of raw honey and I'll either just eat that on the spoon or I'll get a banana 
and then just kind of like drizzle it on top of it and then take a bite, drizzle some more honey, take another <laughs> bite. <laughs> do you do that too? I do that too. And I'm glad that somebody else does it because I was always a little self-conscious because like it looks ridiculous. You have a peeled banana in your hand and you're dumping honey on it. It just yeah. looks strange. Sometimes it kind of goes over the edges, but it's a really efficient way to do it. Because I've tried to like, like get a spoon and spoon it on, but it never really works as oh. well. It's like it's easier to squeeze it out of the bottle and you're just good to go. Oh yeah, because the spoon holds on to like half of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you kind of just like suck it on the spoon. Yeah. 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 I usually go in my pantry and shut the door when I do it because I don't <laughs> want my kids or anybody to see me doing it. <laughs> like a Coke addict or something. Yeah. Banana <laughs> addicts. <laughs> uh, sometimes too, though, to add to that, I will add a little bit of almond butter to it as well sometimes. Uh, but that's just sometimes like I'd say the most consistent thing is, is just like a banana with some honey. And yeah. then 15, 20 minutes later, I'll go out and, and start my workout. Um, and I usually start my workout with like a 15 to 20 minute warm up. And so by the time like I get out the door, put my shoes on, start running and then start the speed session, it's usually about 45 minutes or so after I've had that banana and honey before I start doing like the actual speed workout. Yeah. I, I basically, I guess we kind of do the same thing, I guess, on workout days. We just do our workout days differently. Because like I'll kind of do the same thing, obviously. But then um, on my Tuesdays, I also go to the gym in general. So I'll do like a weightlifting day. And basically what I do is like ATG type stuff, like knees over toes guy and then mm. core. Um, and this is kind of what I focus on that day. That way, like I'm able to separate my my easy days from my hard days. I know we've mentioned that in the past and everybody's a little bit different. Like, I don't know if there's any real data or science showing like increased benefits of doing that. But to me, it just helps me like compartmentalize things like, okay, today's an easy day. And tomorrow's a hard day and like to me it just makes sense in my head yeah does it ever change though like during the like each week uh it can it depends like if i have a race coming up if i'm tapering um or like yeah. this week i'm going to bandera and then i you know drive back and then um i have cold water rumble 50k next week and so it is going to change a little bit and i definitely take the intensity and the i guess intensity and weight training down quite a bit like the last two weeks before a race um, but I'm a big fan of doing it. And like, if I'm traveling and don't have like the opportunity to go to a gym, um, generally just Tuesday, Thursday, I'll do like just a, a body weight type workout. It's like squats, calf raises, the ATG type stuff I can do like in a hotel room or wherever I'm at, for example. But Got it. Cool. I, try I do at least two strength sessions a week. Yeah. Yeah. Same here at a minimum and then cross train or then. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, so for me, I would say Wednesday and Thursday, are just very similar to Monday and Tuesday mm -hmm. in terms of Wednesday is probably an easier day. And then Thursday might be another speed session type day. So I personally don't have really anything to add to like Wednesday or Thursday, since it's so similar, I'd say the most variability comes for me on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but is there something that you have for Wednesday or Thursday that you want to throw out there? No, I was going to mention kind of the same thing that like my Monday, Tuesday is kind of like my Wednesday, Thursday, where Wednesday is just like a shorter, easier day. It's like very low intensity with maybe a bike ride again or something in the afternoon. And then Thursday is another like workout day. And that just varies depending on what I'm training for. Like I know your workout loads um, change as far as like intensity and, and length and everything. And yeah. so mine are kind of the same way on my Thursdays too. Like it could be a tempo run. It might just be like some intervals at the end or something, but either way, it's more of like a higher, um, higher intensity day. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think I've kind of said this already, but like really for me, the only thing, so say like Tuesday, I do eight miles speed and say Thursday, for some reason I do 12 miles of speed. 
Tuesday, like I, the only difference between Tuesday and Thursday for me would be more fruit on Thursday since I did four extra miles versus like the eight miles. So that's really the only change for me is like, if I'm going to train more or do more speed, the fruit consumption is going to increase a little bit on those days. Um, I'm not necessarily adding other types of foods. It's just increasing those types of foods. That's already my main staple. Yeah. Same. Definitely the same. Cool. Cool. So how about Friday? So usually for me, Friday is the day before a long run. And so that usually affects how I eat on Friday. Are are you in the same camp? Yeah. 100% same camp here. Okay, cool. So for me, Friday, so it's, it's changed for me actually. Um, because in October or, or maybe September, it's when I switched to the Paul Saladino style and primarily just do meat, eggs, raw dairy, raw honey, and fruit. But, you know, last summer when I was doing my high intensity training, Friday was usually an easier day with running because it was the day before a long run, unless I was gearing up for a 200. Like a lot of times in my training, if I'm gearing up for a 200, I'll usually do like a medium-ish distance on Friday, whether it's like 12 to 15 miles. And then Saturday is usually 20 to 30 miles. But aside from gearing up for a 200, I usually make Fridays a little bit easier, like maybe five to eight miles at just super easy pace. But even though the intensity is down, even though the mileage is down, my carb count is still up because I'm getting ready for the next day, which is my long run. And so in the past, like I, I'd eat the same breakfast, the the eggs. Um, at the time, it was just some kind of meat because I wasn't doing liver last summer during my high training. <laughs> but eggs are some kind of meat in the morning and then a high protein red meat meal in the evening. But on Fridays, I would usually have sushi for dinner. I'd get a little bit of rice, a little bit of salmon, like I do the Alaska roll, which has some raw salmon on top. But I'd usually do sushi the night before my long run just because I love sushi (laughs) and, you know, white rice. This is actually something that I learned a few years ago. But if you're going to do rice, have you heard that you should do white rice over brown rice? Yeah, because the hole or whatever on brown rice has... I don't know, toxins. I, I don't know specifically, but I've heard the white rice is better yeah. than, than brown. Yeah. Even everyone says brown is better, but yeah. Yeah, there's more anti-nutrients in brown rice, basically. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, usually it was white rice and it was just good because it was the night before a long run and I had all that rice to to give me fuel the next day for my long run. But now that I'm not doing really sushi anymore, I imagine that it's just going to be more fruit before I go to bed to get me ready for my long run the next day. But what about you? Yeah, same thing here. Um, definitely make sure my electrolytes are topped off on Friday because it's an easy mm-hmm. run day. Again, yeah. and generally, like it'll only be like a one session day. Like I won't do a double run that day or I, I won't run, ride, run, gym or something. So it's just a pretty mellow day and then my eating reflects that. But then in the afternoon, I guess I will have a lot more fruit. Um, generally like a smoothie or something. Um, just so that way I can pound down a lot of like fruit carbohydrates and then just kind of like a normal dinner. And depending on what time I'm going to run the next day, like if it's a group run and we're starting really early, I'll have my dinner earlier than normal. Um, just to compensate mm-hmm. for that. Cause I hate having to start out and like, okay, I gotta go to the bathroom, like a mile in three <laughs> miles in. It's like, okay, that's annoying. Um, so yeah, I'd essentially just like have some, like tone back my caffeine that day too. And then just 
more carbohydrates than usual than just the, the normal, like, okay, fat protein type thing throughout the day as well. So did you used to have something different besides your staple in terms of carbohydrate the night before a long run? Yeah. My runs always suck the next day <laughs> I, because like when I first started running, like I knew nothing about like running nor eating, honestly, like I grew up in, like, what do you, what does everybody say? Like when you start running, like, Oh, you got a carb load before a race, you're running a half marathon the next day, make sure you carb load, carb load. I'm like, okay. I had no idea what I was doing. So I'm like, I'll have Gatorade and pasta for dinner. Like, <laughs> <laughs> on a Friday night, like I didn't know, and then I'd go out and run and make calories in, calories out, man. Right? That's all that matters. Matter yeah. eat, eat pure bread or whatever it doesn't matter. But then it's like I'd go out and run. I'm like, man, my stomach just—you just feel super full and like kind of bloated and whatever. And it's like this is not ideal because I'm like, I, I can't run this way. Um, so that's when I started looking to make changes and stuff. But like, so I definitely don't like carb load necessarily. Like most people would assume, like a big plate of pasta and garlic bread and all the stuff the night before a race, but, um, I'll just have like some lighter meat and then a big smoothie and stuff. And then, um, I will before a long run have breakfast the next day. So like that's a small breakfast though. Like what? (laughs) Cause you're going to hate me. Uh, sardines. sardines. Yeah. Like (laughs) it it sounds so odd, but like the first time I tried, like this is going to be weird, but like, it just sits so well with me. Cause it's not like there's a lot of flavor and like, things really cause any like upset stomach at least for me uh-huh. and this is pretty neutral all around and it's, you get a little bit of carb in there and you get fat and protein and a lot of salt in there and i like it you gotta try it one That's day cool. i'm glad yeah. you like it <laughs> i eat, and to clarify too i do like a half avocado generally because like it depends how i feel yeah. too because i go through these phases where i'm like i love avocados and the next day i'm like i freaking hate these because i eat them all the time um but right now i'm on an avocado kick and so i'll do like half an avocado depending on the size with salt on it and then the sardines for breakfast well and you probably got to watch out for the fiber too right you don't want that kicking in yeah but is there really is that, that much fiber in an avocado I, uh i thought there was a lot oh i have no idea but like that's what i ate before speed goat last year felt great like but there's also a lot of potassium and like other nutrients in it too so maybe that's part of the reason why i felt so good um my doesn't run super hard either so maybe that's why it felt good <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just looked it up and it says a whole medium avocado contains 10 grams of fiber. I don't know. It's a decent amount. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> if it works for you, it works for you. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But like, right. Generally, like, I just feel good doing that. And it's not like I'm eating it like on the way to go run or something. I'll have it like at right, least right. beforehand or something. So I feel like there's pr- plenty of time to like to empty out. Well, and going back to what you were saying about carb loading too, like our bodies. So obviously there's probably some variability based off of who you are, like your, your body composition, your genetics or whatever. But typically from what I remember, like Dr. Jeff Volick and Dr. Stephen Finney, who are huge advocates of a low carb approach for endurance athletes. Um, one of the research papers that I was reading of theirs, that talks about how our body stores approximately 40,000 grams of fat versus 2000 grams of, of carbohydrate. And so you know, you see these nutritionists who are suggesting that on a long run day, you're getting 600 plus grams of carbohydrate. And I would say a standard American diet easily hits above 300 grams of carbohydrates. Like I'd say four to 500 is pretty typical. Would you agree with that? I guess I haven't thought about that in a while, but it's like you're having (laughs) three pancakes with syrup and then like sugar in your coffee and a bunch of fruit. 
that easily add up to a, a lot of car rides plus your lunch and then your dinner after that like yeah you're probably about there yeah i mean i would say on average somebody could easily hit 75 to 125 grams of carbohydrates per meal and so times that by three you're getting above 400 grams of carbs yeah like you know sandwiches that's a staple toast that's a staple like it's such a high carb diet yeah. and I mean, when you think of it that way, so 2000 grams of carbohydrate that your body can store. And if you're getting four to 500 grams of carbohydrate in a day, really carb loading is kind of unnecessary in the sense that you like, when you think of a carb load, think of like the person going to the Olive Garden. Like when I used to carb load, I would go to Olive Garden and get like, I don't, I haven't been to Olive Garden in years, but at the time they had this deal. I, I don't know if they still do, but it was the. Is like the unlimited pasta and salad and soup deal or whatever. Yeah, and you get the breadsticks too. <laughs> yeah, the breadsticks. <laughs> easily, easily getting 600 to 800 grams of carbs when I was doing that. And it's like, like your body can only store 2,000 grams. So like, obviously I was overdoing it with the carbohydrate. And at that point, your body just stores it as fat. And at that point too, you're not an efficient fat burner. So you're not going to burn through that fat. So really carb loading is just in the sense that you think of when you think of carb loading, it's pretty ridiculous, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of insane that ideas perpetuated just with everybody. It's like everybody that starts running starts doing that. And it's like this yeah. weird thing that just, it just doesn't change. And like nutritionists are so focused on it, but it's like, you don't need a carb load to go run a, a 10K or something. Like, it doesn't make any sense. If anything, you're going to run slower. <laughs> One of the most iconic, funniest truths in the show the office <laughs> is when michael scott downs that big bowl of fettuccine alfredo before his 5k rabies run <laughs> dude yeah that's such a funny episode <laughs> yeah but it's true that's what runners look like like that's yeah. what a lot of runners look like they throw it down and then wonder why their stomach hurts so much the next day at the race <laughs> yeah your body has to process all of that like starch and stuff it's just a lot yeah. of food like even like and the to just kind of be like not transparent but just i don't know equal to both sides of the camp of like a high fat or a high carb diet like if you uh -huh. just went pounded like five pounds of meat friday night along with like a, a bottle of coconut oil your run the next day is probably gonna suck too like let's be real oh yeah like just having massive <laughs> amounts of food that you don't necessarily need is just kind of insane like no matter like if you're high carb or high fat like this is stupid yeah well that that's a really good point too because like I, so two nights before I, I feel like this kind of goes in line with what we're talking about <laughs> but okay. like you know the two nights before a race for me usually so if i have a race on a saturday usually thursday night is when i do my like pretty decently sized meal so i might go to a steakhouse and get a 12 ounce ribeye uh, with, you know, a couple sides, whether it's a sweet potato, well, I guess I don't do sweet potatoes anymore. So I'm going to have to figure that out in the future. <laughs> but in the past, it was like a big 12 ounce steak with a sweet potato, some mushrooms and onions, maybe a big bowl of fruit at the end. And then, you know, that was my huge meal. And then usually Friday night, the night before the race, I do something quite a bit smaller and quite a bit leaner. So for me, that was usually like a chicken breast or two, like usually around eight to 10 ounces of chicken with a smaller potato, a smaller serving of fruit, a smaller serving of vegetables. So still getting some good protein, still getting some carbs, but 
calorie wise and density wise, it's significantly smaller than the night before that. And so, yeah, it kind of goes aligned with what you just said. You don't want to be pounding thousands of calories the night before a race. Yeah. And I think it's important to experiment with that too, because like some people handle it differently and you have different like gastric emptying times. And so like what works for you may not work for me or for somebody else, for example. So I think that's kind of the beauty of the long run day, honestly, you get to experiment with like different types of food and fueling strategies. And that's the other reason too, you don't want to be chronically fasting (laughs) because that's, you, you don't want to show up to your race one day and find out like, whoa, this actually doesn't work for me anymore, but I couldn't figure that out because I never ate for my long runs. So that's where you got to find that balance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was a big side tangent. I apologize. Yeah, it was a tangent, <laughs> but it was good. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So yeah, so the night before for me was sushi. The night before for you is another high carb meal. Mm-hmm. Um, morning, uh, where, did you have something more you wanted to say about the night before the long run? No, that was basically it. I'm um, just that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Morning of, you said you have half a cu- avocado and some sardines. <laughs> yeah, if I'm feeling that, like maybe I'll just do bulletproof coffee and like a couple eggs or something. It depends on like the type of long run I'm doing as well. Like if it's just like an yep. easy long run, if there's something more intensity in it or like whatever. And when I'm going to actually do that run too. And so that, does that affect if you have some fruit or something with the with what you just listed? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Usually for me, I don't do a lot of my long runs like high intensity. Uh, I usually reserve the long run for just nice, easy, chill pace, maybe like kind of my race pace or slightly below my race pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I might, if I want to like mimic race day, you know, I'll do something like a, I call it like a hilly, easy run with a strong finish. So if I have a 22 mile long run, I'll run the first 18 to 20 miles at an easy pace. And then I'll finish off those final two to four miles going at like tempo pace, for example, just teaching myself come race day to keep it easy and chill for the first whatever mileage, depending on the distance and then kicking it up. And my goal always for my races and even my long runs is to try to negative split. And so I'll, I'll, I'll mimic that in my training runs just to uh, make sure I'm I'm ready to hopefully do that come race day. And so where my long runs are typically the same every week in terms of intensity, I usually really like do it the same. And that's, I'll just eat maybe another piece of fruit with some honey before that run, or I might have a hard boiled egg or two before I go out the door, not right before I go out the door, but like 30 minutes or something before I go out the door. Um, But during the long run, that's when I, I really experiment with my, my calories, like my, my choice of carbs. And so I'll bring, you know, I use Martin gels. So I'll bring Martin gels. I'll bring different kind of fruits that I want to experiment. I love utilizing fruit in a long run and during a race. Um, The long run I feel is probably the most important run during the week to experiment with your nutrition just because, you know, six or eight miles during the week, that's not enough in my opinion to really see how your body's going to respond to that food but the long run's perfect for that. Yeah, I agree. Cause like I can go out and do like, say like a 10 mile run on just nothing or like just hypothetically like a Snickers bar or something like just some sort of junk and you'd be totally fine. But like if I were to do that personally, at least for like a 50 K or longer, I would just feel like garbage. And my yep. friend Hayden has really taught me a lot about that, about feeling appropriately for runs. Cause like your body adapts to that and your microbiome is also going to adapt to that. So like if you're used to eating, like say like, 
whatever bananas and honey on long runs and that's all you eat your body is gonna if you do that consistently enough your body should adapt to that in theory anyways um if right. you're also eating that consistently throughout the week um but it is a good time to experiment with different types of gels or drink mixes or whatever and like your carbs per hour and your sodium intake per bottle or something yeah um, one of the tricks that i try teaching the people that i coach and i have no science to back this up but it's just something that i've noticed that works with me and it kind of goes along with what you were just barely saying about how your stomach will adapt but like it's really important to try to include a variety of random stuff on your long runs and then maybe picking i call it like your emergency quiver that's how i phrase it to a lot of the people that i coach but finding these few unique foods where it's like yeah, I like it. It works. It's not going to be my staple, but because I know it works, I'm going to put it in this emergency bag that I'm going to utilize on race day. Because for me, there's always a point in a race, especially like a 200 where I hit a certain point in that race and my staples no longer become appealing to me. Like Martin gels, for example, I'll like look at it and be like, Oh, like I've had way too much of that pull out a fruit leather or a packet of applesauce. I'm like, Oh, I've had way too much of that. And at that point I'm like, okay, I got my emergency quiver. So I open it up and it's like, Oh yeah, I remember this. I like this a lot. And like all of a sudden that stuff just becomes so good because one, you're used to it. And two, you hardly ever use it. So it's kind of like a rare occasional treat uh, basically. And so that's why I like doing that kind of stuff on my long runs. Yeah. I think that kind of relates to palate fatigue, right? Like if you're just always right. drinking, say like berry tailwind, it's like, yeah, it's great. Whatever you like it. But like after 24 hours of the same berry tailwind, you're probably going to want some variety. So like <laughs> yeah. some, some chips that you like, or maybe something salty that's not so sweet or vice versa. And it could be anything really like anything that's like your emergency food that you like. So that's, I, I think it's a good tip. It's a good strategy. Cool. Again, that's just my, my. Personal N equals one. This is what works for me. There's nothing to back it up that that's the way to do it, but works for me. <laughs> to each their own, man. To each their own. To each their own. So what do you? So, gen- go ahead. I was gonna say, what do you generally do then post long run? Like, say you're doing like only one long run. It's just like a 22 miler on Saturday. Sunday is kind of a mellow day, if, if it's not a zero day. How would you um, recover after your run? So for me. So Saturday is my day to kind of relax a little bit with nutrition. And when I say that, I'm not saying I'm going to McDonald's and getting a Big Mac and eating a bun and some fries, deep deep fried and seed oil. Like I'm still following the guidelines of a paleo style way of eating, but it's not just meat, fruit and dairy, like what I've been doing all week. And so for me, usually after a long run, uh, maybe I'll enjoy like a cauliflower crust pizza because I personally try to avoid gluten like at, at all times to avoid the inflammatory response that gluten creates. Um, so I'll have maybe a cauliflower crust pizza or last week, for example, after my long run, this is one of my favorite things. <laughs> I was actually talking to somebody I coach about this who's also an animal-based eater. Uh, it's really fun being to a point in nutrition where a cheat meal is chili um, so for me, like kettle and fire, they made this amazing bone broth, uh, chili and they don't add gluten or anything to it. So there's no wheat in it. And so for me, like, you know, I'll have a bowl of kettle and fire chili 
Uh, I'll get some Siete chips that are that's Casa flower, flower based. Um, so I'll have some Siete chips. And so I'll just have a little bit more carbs, not necessarily from fruit. Uh, and I'll probably get closer to that 175 to 200 gram range after my long run. Uh, I'll do enchiladas sometimes with like Siete almond flour based tortillas. Um, but yeah, I usually say Saturday is usually either going to be a bowl of chili, uh, cauliflower crust pizza, or like homemade enchiladas with some almond flour tortillas is how I would do it, but still prioritizing protein. So chicken with the enchiladas, chicken and sausage on the pizza, doing a side of bone broth soup with the chili. Like I still try to prioritize protein, even though I'm not just doing beef and eggs and fruit. Yeah. I'm what about def- you? As far as like prioritizing protein, yeah, that's that's the goal. Um, post run, so no matter what I'm eating or drinking, it's definitely that. Um, that chili is pretty good, but honestly, I don't like really buy a lot of stuff like that because I was just like, I'm like, okay, like I'm gonna spend seven, eight dollars on this, uh, this bone broth when I could have, I don't know, a pound of meat or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I kind of just do the same thing, but just prioritize protein and then I will have like fruit and whatever. And it kind of depends too what I'm doing the next day as well. I don't know about you, but sometimes like my long run days or like a long run weekend where I'll do like a moderate to long run Saturday, then a moderate to long run Sunday. And so I just try to make sure that everything's topped off. Cool. Yeah. For me, Sunday, I usually don't run. Sunday's usually my day off. Um, and that's usually, it's usually like a full day off from running. Uh, sometimes like this past day or this past Sunday, with it being New Year's, I didn't do anything that day. Just spent some extra time with my family. Uh, but like this upcoming Sunday, I'm going to go and probably lift weights and swim. And so, you know, on the days that I'm not doing anything on Sunday, like the night before might be a little bit lower carb, um, but not much lower. Yeah. Uh, but so I'd say the big difference with my Sundays are the days that I'm not working out at all on Sunday. I usually reserve that day as an intermittent fasting type day since I'm not doing anything. So I'll usually wrap up eating the night before. I always try to wrap up eating at seven o'clock at night, every night. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'll usually wrap up the night before at seven. And then I'll usually not eat till five the next day. And so I'll usually do about a 20 to 22 hour fast on Sunday if I'm not doing anything. But if I'm going to lift weights, if I'm going to go swim, then it's really just back to the basics, which is eggs, liver, fruit, honey, and beef on Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, I think really, at least I've come to this realization as we've been talking about this, is that essentially, as far as nutrition goes for us anyways, it's like prioritize protein, number one, and then fill in with carbs after that if you're still hungry. And depending on your workload, like if you have a high intensity day, have more carbs. If you have a low intensity day, have less carbs and just do fat and protein mainly. And it's like, it's like, not, it's not like we're doing keto necessarily one day or like not the next day, but it's just changing your diet based off of your physical activity level and then what you're going to be doing the next day or what you did the day prior or that day or something. So it's never just like, I only eat 20 grams of carbs a day the rest of my life or 300 grams of carbs a day for the rest of my life. It's like, well, no, like what are my goals? And then what are these short-term goals leading up this main goal that are going to help me? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why a lot of people, (laughs) I would say I'm indifferent on how I feel on if a keto diet is sustainable long-term. Like I would say that I can say like a strict 30 grams or less of carbs a day, keto diet, like 
I'm probably in the middle on if I feel if it's sustainable long-term or not. Uh, but I do feel like strategic keto, animal-based, keeping your carbs between 50 and 200 based off of how much you're working out, like, and, and including plenty of fruit, including organ meat. Like I definitely feel like eating this way is pretty sustainable just because of the variety, still including fruits and then still fluctuating with your carb intake. Yeah. Speaking of the sustainability aspect of it, like it's interesting because I think if you were to do like keto the rest of your life, you could like say you're having seizures or something. It's like the only diet that really helps like to prevent those. Yeah, you could do it, but it just takes so much time and effort. And, and then for like a metabolically healthy person, if you're doing keto the rest of your life, you're probably going to come up with hormone issues or something. Like it's not like a long-term fix for most people. It can be great to like drop a bunch of weight or get into ketosis for certain things, whatever, but like to do it for the rest of your life, it's like why when you could have more variety and just a better quality of life by adding in fruit and stuff and it's like teach teach their own right like somebody does really well and like on the strict carnivore or strict keto like that's great but i think it's socially it can be kind of hard too to like okay i'm gonna be at i'm gonna go out to whatever restaurant with my friends and i can only have a glass of water and that's it like that's <laughs> not not super fun whereas like if you go out like on an animal-based diet it's like okay i can get some fruit I can get th- these things you might be able to, or you might have to mishmash like a meal together, but it's still very doable. And like, people are still going to ask questions, but it's not going to be as weird as just ordering a piece of meat and that's it. Or just, I don't know, ordering like a salad with eggs or something. Yeah. Even though we should never let those situations dictate how we eat. <laughs> oh yeah. 100%. But it is kind of <laughs> nice though too. And you can just blend in and I'll have to talk about your diet again. Cause Sometimes yeah. I'm like, okay, like I, I like talking about diet and nutrition, but sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'm so sick of answering the same question again of just, oh, what are you eating today? Why do you only eat that? And it's like, some people are genuinely curious and some people just mock you for it, which is whatever, but it yeah. just, it's, it's exhausting. I should say more than anything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've even found it kind of hard to eat out doing it the way I'm doing it right now, like meat and fruit. Like, <laughs> like, cause when I used to go to like Texas Roadhouse or something, for example, I could get a big piece of meat. Mm-hmm. and two servings of vegetables but now that i don't really do vegetables like a lot of restaurants don't offer the option to have two sides of fruit with your meal like <laughs> what i do like I, I haven't been to texas roadhouse in a while because i think they cook in seed oil um but like oh what they do oh i, I guarantee you they rub their grill in canola oil uh, like I've, I've never checked but like look it up right now if you want um but i bet they, they rub the grill <laughs> so you don't get pissed on on camera yeah <laughs> but um like if i had to like it's good better best right it's better than going to mcdonald's or or whatever but like i've gotten just two sides of applesauce there because they do applesauce as oh, a side yeah. so you can just do that and like i think there is cinnamon or something in it. and who knows like if there's high fructose corn syrup or sugar maybe i should look into that because i don't know <laughs> but uh that's kind of my go-to as far as going to a restaurant but i guess i sometimes when i eat out like quote eat out i just go to the grocery store or something and I don't know, but it is kind of a pain though, because most people don't want to like, and you don't want to be that person to be like, okay, let's base our restaurant around my dietary lifestyle versus like six other people that eat just normal or something or five other people like normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Normal. Yeah. (laughs) Normal. According to the world's definition of normal. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, cool. Uh, Trying to think of some other stuff that I might want to add in before we wrap up. I do think it's important to note since we have talked a little bit about what an OFM diet is, I do think it's important to note, at least for me, I don't know if you do this too, Derek, but 
if I do have a race coming up, I will do like a strict keto reset before the race. <clears throat> and so, you know, say, so I did the Arizona trail. I started it on October 15th. So usually 10 days before. So in this, in this example on October 5th, I did a strict keto reset where I got my carbs to about 50 grams a day. And that was just from uh low glycemic index fruit. So berries basically. And so every day I would just have meat, eggs, I had less milk, I had less honey, probably no honey actually, actually, and I just had fruit. And so the point of that is because, so basically when you're doing an OFM diet and you're keeping your carb count to like 150 grams or so a day, you're not going to be in ketosis every day, but you might just be like, so pretend there's this like imaginary line. And if you're above it, you're not in ketosis. And if you're below it, you are in ketosis. Like if you're keeping it around 150 grams a day and you are working out and you are implementing strategic fasting, like there's a chance, especially during your run that you're going to be dipping in and out of ketosis just because you're kind of hovering above that line. But then 10 days before it, when you go straight keto, you know, you take a dive below that line and you're in ketosis a little bit more regularly and you're getting your body more familiar with consistently being in ketosis. And then usually two days before that race is when I'll up my carbs back to about 150 grams or so to top off my glycogen. And then come race day, my body's hopefully ready to just transition between fat and glycogen, fat and glycogen. And then I can optimize both fuel sources and hopefully have the most perfect race as possible. Yeah, that strategy seems to be working for you for the most part. So that's pretty cool. For the most part. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so that, so once I hit phase three with the OFM thing, like that's usually when I'll implement a strict keto diet is just, just before a race. Okay. Yeah, I know that makes sense. And I think it's probably especially relevant for your longer events that you're doing. Cause like, like the Arizona trails, 800 miles, like you're doing all these two hundreds and type stuff. So like for a long endurance event like that, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. If it was a 5k or a 10k, I don't think I'd do that. Okay. Just got to have some pop tarts beforehand and you're ready to go. Yes. Pop tarts, <laughs> cookies, and ice cream. The perfect pre-run meal. The perfect pre-run meal. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's me. Though. Yeah. That's essentially me as well. Like I had some miscellaneous things. Um, like I don't do bone broth that op- often. Um, whatever. It's good, but I don't do it like every day by any means i know i think i feel like you do a lot more bone broth than i do but it is pretty good especially when you're in a cold climate it's just like a good soup to have essentially mm-hmm. um i don't know how many do you ever eat olives because it's like mm-hmm. i'm kind of just kind of like eh, olives are okay and like sometimes if i'm at the grocery store like i'll buy like a single serving package and that's generally enough for like the month for me i just don't <laughs> i don't like hate olives but i'm just kind of like eh, they're just something i guess i love olives really but yeah they're so good I'd say my consumption has gone down drastically though, since I, well, is olive technically a fruit? Yeah, they're technically a fruit. Oh, well, maybe I'll start eating them again. (laughs) Yeah. No, I love like those, um, the green olives that are stuffed with with, like feta cheese or blue cheese or garlic. Those are are pretty good. Yeah. Oh, so good. (laughs) I used to, I I love olives. When I'd eat salads, I'd put those on top because like that vinegary type, uh, I don't know juice i guess that comes off of them because they're in that liquid that's pretty good. yeah 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 they're so good olives and pickles i love the saltiness of those things nice yeah, those are pretty good yeah yeah so i guess it's kind of like a, a basic week for us though like it really is just 
eat based off of what you're doing and like everybody's different but like if you're doing zero activity i'd probably say limit the carbs quite a bit because you don't necessarily need them but if you're doing more high intensity workouts have more carbs and make sure they're coming from like real food sources and not just like ultra processed junk yeah yeah i mean we we talked about that a little bit last week and the week before like mm. if you're gonna get car like carbs are not the enemy like i i think carbs are great carbs are beneficial for athletes uh, i do think that we don't need as much as the mainstream portrays that we need but i do believe carbs are good and if you have an option of eating two apples or a pop tart uh like you know and i know that some people argue about like the fiber in fruit saying that they would rather have a pop tart because it has less fiber and less chance for need to take a crap out on the trail. <laughs> but you know, for me, it's like, it's a no brainer for me. Like if I can get something that's natural provides me with a lot of nutrients, which our bodies need when you're doing like everybody's body needs nutrients. But if you're doing intense old long distance running, then your body needs more nutrients because you're going to deplete that quite a bit faster than the typical person. So mm -hmm. if you have the choice between an apple full of nutrients or a pop tart full of sugar and processed junk, like why wouldn't you choose the apple is the way I look at it. Yeah. I think that's also like, you kind of alluded to it, but like there's no real reason to count calories and stuff in my opinion, like if you're being very active, because like right. if you're running what 80, hundred miles a week, like there's no reason you should be eating 2000 calories a day. Like that's almost nothing. Like, I think you would probably die as like a endurance athlete if you're eating that much, <laughs> eating that little, I should say that little. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause that's, that's nothing really. And like the RDA values for things are just kind of nonsense because it's based off basically a sickly lifestyle of like inactivity. So like, I don't know, some people like, I don't know, I've never felt this way. I've never had like necessarily a body weight perception issue, but like some people are just like, oh, okay, if I eat this, I'm going to get fat and I'm going to, I gotta go run more or something, but it's like, no, if you're running, your body's just like a furnace and it needs all these, all these nutrients and not just junk. You're feeding your body real food. It's going to tell you when you're full and when you need more, but if you're just fueling mm -hmm. it or if you're fueling it, I guess with like, like Taco Bell and pizza and just junk calories, you're going to eat a ton. And so that's the difference there where like, if you are eating crap, you're going to gain weight. But if you are eating real food, you're only going to be able to eat so much before you just can't eat anymore. And that's your body telling you that like you're adequately uh, fueled. Yeah. And I would say too, I used to deal with body image issues and I still kind of do. Like, I feel like if you've grown up overweight, it's kind of hard to always like forever shake mm -hmm. body image issues. <clears throat> but I will say that when I switched to this approach and I started to like see the pounds coming off, I started to see a little bit more definition in my stomach. I did fall into that trap where like I started counting calories and in my head I was like, well, if I'm running two hours a day, and I'm in a calorie deficit, then I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to look shredded. Mm -hmm. And so, but, but the thing is, is I actually started gaining weight when I did that. Uh, scientifically that could have been because cortisol levels were high stress can lead to weight gain. But, um, you know, we've all heard the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, basically we've heard that if you're always in a calorie deficit, then your body could hold on to food and store it as fat because your body's just like freaking out because it's not getting enough calories. Yeah. And so like that starvation mode, essentially. Yeah. Starvation mode. Yeah. And so even though I was restricting calories, uh, 
because I was running so much, I did start gaining a little bit of weight again, even when I was doing a strict keto diet. Now though, like I don't count calories. I have as many carbs as I want based off of what my body's telling me, which is pretty consistently the same each day. And I'm probably personally, I'm probably getting about three to 4,000 calories a day. And honestly, ever since I've started caring very little about my calories, I I've noticed that like the weights come back off. My stomach's starting to tighten up. Like I'm starting to see more definition in my stomach, which isn't like huge for everybody, but basically I have seen that in my own personal experience where when I was counting calories, I was gaining weight. Now that I'm not counting calories, everything's evening out again, basically. Yeah. Isn't it funny how eating real food can um, make you feel better? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Who would have known? <laughs> Who would have guessed? Yeah. Yeah. No, well, cool. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say nutrition oh, no, was... is really interesting. And I don't know. It's like, it's interesting. To, like, we're all on this like journey, right? Because I like, talked about Jeff last week, how he kind of found how he eats now and how we've done the same. And it's like everyone's at a different point in their lives. And like your diet is probably going to change off of that, depending on what you're doing, how busy you are, and like whether you're running a hundred mile weeks or maybe just 20 mile weeks is like, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like prioritizing diet and nutrition. Like it really, really matters. Yeah. And I will say too, and this will be my final theme before we wrap up. Uh, something that I see a lot of nutritionists say is that you shouldn't feel the need to work out in order to eat. Uh, I would say I agree with that for the most part. <clears throat> um, I guess let me explain before everybody freaks out at me, <laughs> but, uh, like a, a lot of the times when nutrition are saying that they're referring it to like cookies and ice cream. And, you know, we've referenced pop tarts a lot. And like, I, I understand if you're, if you have the mindset of, I need to run in order to eat this, that that's not good because that could lead to eating disorders that could lead to just a whole mess of things. Um, I do think though that, <laughs> You know, you should limit your cookies. You should limit your ice cream. And I mean, if you want some ice cream and cookies, then running is one good way to enjoy that a little bit more. This is just me. I don't want to upset anybody, <laughs> but you know, I know for me that like that ice cream is going to have, so I, I guess this is the best way to put it. <laughs> um, you shouldn't need to feel like you have to run in order to eat some ice cream, but in my experience, I have found that I can enjoy that quite a bit more when I pair it with running because I don't just feel like junk for eight hours versus like three hours or something like that. All I'm saying is, is like running and working out can help you feel better physically when you do choose to eat that kind of stuff, because it kind of fast tracks you out of it a little bit faster and you feel better. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? Yeah, for sure. Cause you do see a lot of like Instagram dietitians talking about like basically it's an eating disorder. If you say you have to go run a 5k to eat a donut or something and not essentially like, yeah, that's true. Like I'm not going to argue with that, but like it is better to go run and eat a donut versus just eat a donut. But like, yeah, don't make it like this weird psychological cycle. And definitely like, if you do have an eating disorder, go see a professional. Cause like, I know nothing about that. And I know a lot of people right. with it, like both men and women. And um, it's very important to like get that looked at or, maybe just discussed with a, the proper person, but, um, but yeah, you're right. Cause they saw I'm getting that. Okay. And it goes the same thing with any kind of food, like steak, eggs, like, you know, if you haven't, if you're taking a recovery day, still prioritize eating food, get protein, get healthy food so that you can recover 
on your recovery day and be ready to get in it after it the next day. Yeah, exactly. And like, I've noticed too, like if I get really, really busy or something, it's like, oh crap. Like I didn't eat breakfast because I just didn't feel hungry. Then it's like dinner time. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I haven't eaten anything substantial today and have a long <laughs> run the next day. Like my runs are garbage the next day. Like, and that's just like basic, like basic life, right? Like you got to fuel for things that you're right. doing and um, eat appropriately. So if you are doing a lot of mileage or whether it's cycling, running or whatever, like make sure you're fueling properly and you're going to, you're going to just perform a lot better, but also have a lot less injuries and be happier in general. So like all this like carb cutting and, and calorie cutting and all this crap, like it's just, it's kind of ridiculous and it does lead to eating disorders to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. The, the biggest thing that I agree with, like when I see a nutritionist make a post is when they say the phrase, um, do you want to lose weight or do you want to be a good runner? And I feel like I do meet in the middle with nutritionists when they say that, because there's quite a bit of difference. Like if you want to lose weight through exercise and calorie restriction, that's one thing. But if you want to be a good, happy, healthy runner, then calorie restriction is not the way to go. Yeah. 100%. Like I think it's just with most things like moderation, right? Like, yeah. Like if you were just like, okay, I'm just gonna lose a bunch of weight. Like your strength to weight ratio is going to drop like crazy. And you're going to be probably pretty like anorexic, you're going to have brittle bones, like weak muscles, et cetera. And so you're going to need more food. But at the same time, if you're just eating like 10,000 excess calories a day, yeah, that's also an eating disorder. And you should probably talk to somebody about that. It's also going to have negative performance like aspects to it. So it's like, just, just be moderate about it, like moderate carbohydrates, moderate fat, moderate protein. If you do want that donut occasionally, sure, do it, but just realize that like, it's not the ideal thing, but don't beat yourself up over it because that's also a negative cycle. So like, just find balance in things like do what makes you happy, but then also look towards your long-term goals and make sure you're doing everything you can to meet those goals and then don't beat yourself up over things. Yeah. Like I doubt you beat yourself up when you had that donut a couple of weeks ago. Well, I did on my run. Didn't like it. Oh, you don't run? Okay. Well, I was, well, not necessarily. I shouldn't say it that way. I was just like, oh man, that that wasn't worth it in my eyes. Oh, like, yeah, it. it was okay in the moment. And I think I mentioned last week how like it was good for a couple of bites, and then it got kind of gross. But then it's like <laughs> I still ate it and whatever. And I'm not like I wasn't sitting there on my run like punching myself in the face like, oh, you're so dumb for eating that. Go throw up. I was just like, <laughs> oh man, maybe I shouldn't eat that junk because this is what happens. Like you really see like. Yeah like the impacts of like poor eating and and just kind of come to realize like with anything, like if you're in an abusive relationship, it's like realizing that person is abusive isn't a negative thing. That's a positive thing. So if you're right, eating something, don't beat yourself up. Exactly. And if you find that eating this makes you feel sick, don't eat it again. Like that's not a bad thing. If anything, that's a hundred percent positive. Yeah. You just live and learn. <laughs> exactly. Live and learn. Yeah. Cool. I got to go pick up my son from school right now. Uh, I don't really have anything else to add. Is there anything you want to say before we wrap up here? No, I think that was interesting. Um, That was it. And it's just cool to see like how we eat and just how really it's the same for everybody. Um, Just changed slightly based off your activity level. So just eat real food and base your carbs and protein fat based off of what you're doing. Yep. hundred percent. And as always, if there is something that you want to hear about, just drop it in the notes or reach out to Derek or I on Instagram. We'd be happy to cover it in a future episode. Uh, As always, we appreciate everybody who's listening and we will see you next week when we come out with our next episode. Yeah. Thanks everybody. We'll see you all next week.